Hello, everyone. I'm Julie Peterson, and I am so glad that you're here for Highway's weekly podcast. Thanks for joining in. Today, we're continuing on in our teaching series entitled Centered, a journey through the New Testament book of Colossians, which is this powerful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to encourage the church in Colossae to remain centered in Jesus. As John shared with us, Paul was writing to oppose the false teaching that had been circulating in the community, this teaching which diminished the significant supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. And as we look at the sweeping and cosmic truths that Paul shares with his audience about who Jesus is and who his followers are in him and what that means to the way they're to live their lives, as we look at all of these things, we'll consider ways that a message penned thousands of years ago to a particular audience at a particular moment in time has applicability to us now as individuals and as a church. Well, we're in week three of a seven-week series, so let's start off with a recap on where we've been in this letter as we pick back up. We saw that Paul opens up with a greeting and thanksgiving for his audience's faith, and as part of this, he locates his audience. He locates them geographically in the city of Colossa, and he locates them spiritually as God's holy people living lives of faith in Christ Jesus who are a part of the grand narrative of the growth of the gospel. And then Paul prays for them. He prays that through the power of the Spirit, that they'd be filled and that they'd live worthy lives which are informed by the knowledge of God's will. His will, that all things on earth and in heaven would be reconciled through Jesus. And then, flowing from this beautiful and expansive opening section, Paul unfolds a poem known as the Christ Hymn, which centers on Christ's allness, his supremacy in all creation, and his supremacy in the redemption of all things of which the church, his body, plays a vital part. Paul's desire and prayer is that the knowledge of these realities, that the knowledge of these realities would shape the Colossians, that this knowledge would shape their lives in real and tangible ways, and that it would shape their lives continually because being a Christ follower is an ongoing journey of centering and recentering in Jesus. Paul addresses this in chapter 1, verse 23. We read, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Notice that Paul uses the word if, not when. Continuing on in faith, that is, walking in and growing in faith, these aren't givens. Continuing in faith involves the Spirit's movement and pressing into what's known and real in Jesus, established and firm in an ongoing way, in the face of misaligned philosophies and worldviews, as was the case for the Colossians, and in the face of the toughest of times, as was the case for Paul. Now, Paul knows about tough times. He writes this letter while in chains under house arrest in Rome, and he's unsure of his fate, which lies in the hands of Caesar. And as awful as this must have been, it was just one of many tough times for Paul. 
If you'd like to see sort of a greatest hits of worst life experiences, check out 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. Between being shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, and more, if suffering was an Olympic sport, Paul would be bringing home the gold. So with that backdrop, let's move into today's passage. And as we start up, I'd like to invite you to receive it by simply listening to it in its entirety. So rather than looking at the words on your Bible app or a hard copy Bible, feel free to close your eyes and take in the words. And if you like, place yourself in the community in Colossa to whom these words were intended to be read aloud. Let's take a moment in silence to center ourselves as we prepare to hear the passage, which starts in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may be deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Amen. Now, let's circle back to the beginning of today's passage. If you like, feel free to open up or turn on your Bible and make your way to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now again, Paul's writing this letter in chains and under arrest. And as Paul located his audience at the outset of this letter, he locates himself here in verse 24. 
He locates himself emotionally and physically as a suffering servant, and he locates himself missionally, suffering for the sake of his audience, who are primarily Gentile. Paul was imprisoned for sharing that the good news of the gospel is extended to the Gentiles, and we see how this all went down in Acts 22. In short, he was preaching to a Jewish crowd in Jerusalem, and he starts off his message with his conversion story, and he's describing his encounter with the resurrected Jesus on a road to Damascus, and folks are listening, and things are fine and dandy, until he gets to this part in his sermon where he shares that Jesus called him, that Jesus sent him to share the good news with the Gentiles. No sooner than he says the word Gentiles, the crowd totally erupts. They're enraged and a riot breaks out, and this ultimately leads to his arrest. Paul is suffering because he was faithful to his mission. In the same way that God's work in the Colossian church is located in something bigger, God's work in and through Paul's suffering is located in God's bigger plan. And that gives us a lens for the second part of verse 24, which can, at face value, seems sort of puzzling. Paul writes, And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Given that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for the redemption and restoration for all of humanity, what could still be lacking? Well, I think Mark chapter 8 verse 24 provides some guidance here. Jesus tells the crowd and his disciples that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Following Jesus involves sacrifice, just like Paul, and most importantly, just like Jesus, who sacrificed privilege, power, comfort, and ultimately his own life for the sake of the grand story of redemption that God was writing through him. To be and to do all of what is represented in the cosmic and glorious Christ hymn that we reflected on last week. To reconcile all things. And so what I believe that Paul's saying here is that as Christ followers make practical day-to-day choices which are aligned with the person and teachings of Jesus and their part in God's grand story, that suffering and sacrifice often follow. These are a part of, they are an extension of Christ's afflictions. And in this way, God's people share in Christ's sufferings and in an ongoing way. Paul suffers time and time again for the sake of God's grand story. And this suffering is a part of God's purposes being brought to completion. So, Paul experiences a lot of hardship, but you know, he's good with it. He even rejoices in it. Because this is in part, and please take note here of this being one part of the equation, but Paul is rejoicing in his suffering in part because he knows the meaning and purpose in it. We've seen in verse 24 that he suffers for the church, 
Let's explore that further. Starting in verse 25, we read, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. The meaning and purpose of Paul's suffering is found in his God-given mission. It's to make known what he refers to as the mystery. Such an interesting and captivating choice in words, don't you think? When you hear the word mystery, what comes to mind? Maybe a storytelling genre that involves making deductions until a puzzle or a mystery is solved? Or perhaps you're thinking of jigsaw puzzles, which were super popular at the beginning of the pandemic. In fact, I got one from my staff Secret Santa in 2020, and I'll tell you, that thing is a mystery to me, and I still haven't cracked the nut. But Richie Takasugi, I think 2022 is my year. <laughs> or maybe you're thinking of the iconic Mystery Machine Band from Scooby-Doo, which transported a crew of meddling kids to solve mysteries at crime scenes. Well, the mystery Paul writes of wasn't something to be solved, nor was it something to be deduced, sleuthed, or even discovered through studying or memorizing the Torah. The mystery that Paul's referring to here is a truth that was to be revealed, a truth which could only be revealed and made known by God's grace. This mystery is a truth that always was and always will be, but would only be known in God's perfect timing. God chose to reveal this mystery after ages and generations. Paul talks about this mystery in the book of Ephesians, which is a companion letter to Colossians, written at about the same time and was probably carried by the same messenger. What is this great mystery that God revealed to Paul? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery revealed to Paul is that Jesus came to proclaim and to be good news not only for the Israelites, but also the Gentiles. Stewarding the knowledge of this mystery was Paul's mission. It's what he suffered for. God revealed to Paul that Gentiles and Jews together are heirs of the gospel and comprise the body of Christ, which is the church. The church of the New Testament, the church that Paul serves and suffers for, and the church that Jesus gave himself up for, this church extends to the ends of the earth. This is the mystery that was revealed to Paul. And as we continue on in today's passage, Paul identifies a mystery that God desires to reveal to us. In verse 27, we read, To them... God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
The glorious riches God wants to reveal to his people is Christ in you. Christ is in his people. This was true in Paul's day, and it's true today. This this is a fundamental truth. Christ in you is your, it is our true identity. It's the core of who we are, and it's the ground of our being. Yet, our true identity remains a mystery to us. Our true identity is hidden in that we're disconnected from it, and that's because it's out of sight from the life that we're taught to live. The narratives around us say, you are what you do, you are what you have, and you are who others say you are. But these are false. These things do not define you, and they do not and will not ever be who you truly are. And because of that, trying to find wholeness or a sense of identity in these things leads to an endless cycle of searching. Attempts at finding wholeness from the shifting sands of the exterior will never be truly satisfying because our true identity is found in what is eternal and established and firm in our interior. Christ in you is the unchanging and fundamental truth of your identity. Christ in you is the unchanging and fundamental truth of who you already are. This is an eternal truth, come what may. Regardless of what you do, or what you have, or who others say you are. In the same way that the mystery of the church always was and always will be, the mystery of Christ in you always was and always will be. This is your true identity. There are so many facets of the diamond, if you will, that is the concept of identity. And I'm really looking forward to next week as Esther Chang teaches and turns the diamond to share some really rich insights on identity from a broader cultural perspective. Be sure to join in for that. The spiritual journey involves getting reacquainted with your hidden true identity. But we can't access or realize this alone. We need God's help. Because, like the mystery that Paul devoted his life to, this mystery is for God to reveal. Okay, so are y'all with me on this? Christ in you can sometimes feel abstract or challenging to grasp, but the reality of this truth becoming alive in you can be evidenced in tangible ways. One of those ways is through an experience or a manifestation of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Especially during the times when these experiences make no sense when looking at external factors, such as experiencing peace in tumultuous times, or being generous when there's little to give, or extending kindness to someone who's been unkind to you. This is how Paul rejoices in hardship. I mean, this makes no sense. 
when just looking at the external factors, I mean, I, I don't, from an external perspective, it's very difficult to see how Paul would be joyful in this moment. I'd mentioned earlier that understanding the meaning and purpose of his suffering is just one part of the equation with him being good with it. But it wasn't everything. He could have been faithful to his calling and known the meaning behind his trials and been bitter about it. So a few weeks ago, COVID hit my house. One of us tested positive and my family made plans to isolate. We worked out the details of how long and what that looked like after reading the CDC guidelines. And we realized it wouldn't be easy, but the meaning behind it was really clear and really important to us. We didn't want to get anyone sick. I will speak for myself when I say that isolating stinks. And while I totally understood the need to do it, I rarely found joy in it. I mean, it was the occasional liberating experience of having an excuse to justify using DoorDash or Amazon Fresh. Neither of which delivers Stan's donuts, by the way. But anyways, joyful moments were sort of few and far between the absence of stands notwithstanding. Oh, and incidentally, everyone's healthy now. Highway family knowledge isn't enough. Studying, solving, and sleuthing isn't enough to reveal God's mysteries. Now, it isn't that these are unimportant. Paul's opening prayer to the Colossians is for God to fill them with knowledge through the power of the Spirit. And God can and sometimes does use these things as a part of his divine revelation. But when he does, they're often paths to doorways. Doorways to the mystery of Christ in you are, through the movement of the Spirit, transcendent moments. And they cannot be created. They look like a variety of things. Doorways can look like an increased awareness of the holiness of life, perhaps through being moved by the beauty of a sunset, or a sense of overwhelm at the sight, sound, and smell of the ocean. It can look like noticing a growing dissatisfaction with addictive props, maybe an activity that provided what might have felt restful at some time in the past now makes you feel more anxious or less rested than when you did it. It can look like a longing for God. It can look like lament. It can look like a more expansive and gracious sense of yourself. Being aware of these doorways is so important because what's on the other side, as Paul puts it, is the hope of glory. This is the mystery of Christ in you. As we're surrounded by false narratives about our identity, God invites us to center and recenter in this mystery. It's so easy to walk past these doorways and not even realize it. And that's why slowing down is important. Slowing down and living contemplatively increases our awareness of those thresholds through which lie the treasures of wisdom and things to be known in Christ. I hope you'll save the date for a space to slow down and recenter at a half-day Lenten prayer retreat on March 28th in Atherton, hosted by Wellspring. Some of you may recall that we had plans to participate in Wellspring's Lenten retreat in 2020, 
which was canceled due to the pandemic. Well, last year, this retreat was offered digitally, and I'm really excited for the opportunity to gather in person. I do hope you'll join us. Please stay tuned for details as we get closer to the date. Church, we live our lives searching for identity and for wholeness and for meaning. But Christ in us and what we really need is what we already have. And who we long to be is who we already are. And so, may the Spirit guide us to and through doorways of transcendence in order for God to reveal the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Almighty and eternal God, we thank you for your love and your grace. God, your love and your grace through which you reveal your mysteries. You are so, so good to us. Thank you for this picture we see in Colossians of a life devoted to stewarding the knowledge of your mystery revealed in Christ. I pray, Father God, that through the movement of your spirit, that the mystery of Christ in us would be revealed to us. And that, Father God, we would steward that well. That we'd steward that well in our love for you and our love for others and even our love for ourselves as we locate ourselves in the bigger story that you're writing. Meet us and reveal yourself and your mysteries to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.